Today, we are spending time in 1979. It's a year jam-packed with movies, television, comics, and music. Oh man, the music. The music that would shape the culture for decades. New film franchises were born. Fresh talent exploded onto the scene. You will believe a man can fly. And you're going to find out if, in outer space, anyone can hear you scream. Our decade series continues on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I have been making comics for 37 years, writing them, drawing them, producing them, publishing them, and this podcast celebrates all things comic books and all things comic book characters, no matter whether it's a graphic novel whether it's between two staples like your average comic book, whether it's a streaming show, whether it's a big giant blockbuster movie, action figures, merchandise, video games. We have covered all of these topics and we continue each and every episode as we celebrate just how important and influential the comic book characters of my youth, of your youth, have become in the entire spectrum of, of, of pop culture. I mean, comic books is a giant, giant big deal. This summer, already we've had one Guardians of the Galaxy 3. It launched. It it, it topped the box office. It, it's going to be out in theaters for weeks to come. You've got The Flash coming up into the Spider-Verse. You've got, uh, b- b- before the year ends, we've got a new uh, Aquaman. We, we, we've got the, the Marvels. I mean, there is all manner of comic book stuff being thrown at us all the time and it just always just shocks me how much attention these characters demand one of my favorite things to do on the show is when we go back and we look at a different year a different era and and we parse that and we look at all that information and we see how it it applies to what's going on today you have so many different options to break down whatever trailer is about to come out 30 seconds from when I am talking into this microphone. And there'll be all these people going, what does this trailer mean? What Easter egg is in this trailer? What, you know, what, what's the significance of this cut of this trailer? And uh, you don't need me to do that. So I don't do that here. I, I don't break down trailers and I don't, I don't really uh, generally give you a movie review unless it's something that really hits home. because. You have so many options to turn turn to in, in that realm. And so what, what I do here is, you know, the, the entire focus of the podcast started when I took you through my own journey, seven years old, 1974, pulling comic books off the spinner rack. But we love to take eras, decades, years, and, and look at how the information uh, of that year, the movies, the comic books, the TV, and the music affect where we're at today because the past absolutely informs the present and can give you a glimpse into where the future is headed and there is no better year no more favored year for me to discuss with you today i was excited i was already excited when i just wrote it down on my notebook and i said this is this is what we're going to do today and then when i went back and collected the data the memories were just on fire my heart soared. I'm so excited to talk about 1979, 1979, the end of, 
a decade is always a really interesting snapshot in time. Whether it's 1989, 1999, 1979, 1969, you get these great kind of end of an era whether it's fashion, music, you know, what's going on in, 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 the, in, in pop culture, because it really is accumulating everything that has gone before, which is what formed what's in that year. And, 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 and it's taken from what's going on four, three, two years prior, because those things have been put into the music and the, and the, and the movies and the television that, that you're seeing. They're taking lessons from past blockbuster hits, giant TV, you know, shows and their impact. Same with comic books and music. Uh, oh boy, the music alone in 1979. I, 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 <laughs> I could change this. Maybe I'll file this one under a different category. I'm so excited to talk to you about the music of 1979. But so much of what you're going to hear and so much of what we're going to discuss is informed by what came directly in front of it. and then. It was so successful that it informed everything to come. So 1979, super excited to dive into all things 1979 with you today. Not sure how big this show is going to get, but we're going we're gonna to start not where we normally start. We're, we're not going to start where we normally start, which is with the comic books. We have to start 1979 by discussing the giant year that was 1979 in film. This list of top films of 1979. Again, we are knocking on 1980's door. And you know what? 1980, not as interesting. I'm going to tell you right now. Not as interesting. You know, also at the end of this particular cycle, 1989, you know, 1979 was a big time political year. We don't do politics here. It's not, not, not interested in it. But people of that era, it was a real, again, changing of the guard. It was the end of Jimmy Carter. It's about to be the beginning of Ronald Reagan, which again, if you were growing up at that time, that that was uh, that was everywhere. That the, the the you know former governor of California, the former actor, the cowboy, uh, just again the, the, these these cycles. Sometimes you can identify, especially looking back and going, this is when everything turned, and and from going to a because Jimmy Carter was a Democratic president, to then a Republican president like Ronald Reagan, who then would have his vice president be president for one term, and you get like a twelve year, twelve years of of a Republican in the White House, and you wonder what it would have been like in terms of all of these different items that we're going to uh, discuss today if it had been a Democrat, and 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 how maybe some of those things uh, you know played into pop culture. Did having a cowboy a a cowboy, and you can say, but Robbie was a senile cowboy. But fair enough. A cowboy in the White House for eight years. How did that affect the culture by the time he left in 88? What had changed? So again, this is the kind of stuff that just takes me away, that that that, that helps me, um, I mean, honestly, just really gets me excited. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, we are going to look at the amazing successes at the box office. Because look, man, Never more than at this period of time uh, do we, did, did, did movies unite us. Now you get a movie on Amazon, you get a movie on Apple, you get a movie you know, on Netflix. They're all releasing giant blockbuster movies that you don't have to leave your couch for, that you can just sit back with your remote control and you can enjoy with great luxury 
on your own terms. You don't have to deal with the guy behind you who brought the um, most crackly plastic bag ever uh, and he's going to reach in and eat sunflowers behind you for for 45 minutes straight until that until that bag is is finished have i have i lived through that yes have you i know you have or the slurper you're not gonna have to deal with the slurper the guy slurping every ounce of that slurpee on a like whatever a 24 ounce slurpee behind you people have changed we've changed my good buddy love him to death josh brolin uh on his instagram the other day shared a uh a shot from an 80s account a 1980s account and it was the line outside for Goonies in, in 1985. And Josh shared it and he put under it back when we all liked each other and got along. And that really resonated with me. And maybe it's because it's, it, it, it's maybe why I jump backwards as often as I do. It's maybe why I jump backwards. Uh, and and be, because it was a different time. But when you look at that line outside of the Goonies, we don't see even those lines anymore because now we get to reserve our tickets. Right, we we get on there and we're like I'm seeing this at 7:45 in IMAX in you know the special uh, edition that's going to squirt water in my eye and blow b- blow uh you know blow blow wind in my hair uh, when, when when the planes are coming off the the you know the 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 the, the, <laughs> the giant aircraft carrier just like in Top Gun 2 last summer when I just kept you know searching out all of these different editions so I could keep my family entertained when I would drag them to go see it. Long lines are a thing of of the kind of of the past really. I mean I haven't stood in the line to see a movie. I think I think the last one I really remember to standing in line to see was maybe one of the early Marvel films. And then again everything went to you can, you know, set your date, set your clock, get your tickets. No waiting in line. That's a thing of the past. 1979 people were waiting in line they were absolutely waiting in line do you know what the number one movie of 1979 was it's actually a movie that was released in christmas of 1978 i remember it so well like it was yesterday the the theme of this movie the advertising campaign was all based on a slogan one slogan and and it was in all the print ads. It it was in all of the television ads, all of the radio ads. I don't have that cool, uh, you know, movie trailer guy voice, but it was, you will believe a man can fly. You will believe a man can fly. It was Christopher Reeve, Superman. Superman was released in Christmas of 1978. Went on to break, you know, a ton of records. Was the number one movie that Warner Brothers had ever made at the time, like broke single day opening records, weekend records. I mean, this is this is just a giant movie in the Christmas of 1978. So, so you're looking at a year and a half after Star Wars. Warner Brothers is now stepping up to the plate. They've got like a just superstar, uh, you know, backup, not backup, but like supporting cast with Marlon Brando, okay, as Superman's dad, Jor-El. You've got Gene Hackman is Lex Luthor because nobody had ever heard of Christopher Reeve. Now you're like, Leifeld, you hadn't been around that long. I, I had not been around that long. You, <laughs> you are, you are correct. But when you're 11, like you, you, you've seen some stuff. Okay. You've seen some stuff. Come on, man. You, especially in those seventies, you've been to the roller skate rink. You've been to the malls, malls, you know, every, everywhere in, in, in my county. Had a mall, Anaheim Mall, Bram Mall, you know, the Buena Park Mall. When when Buena Park 
It was an outdoor mall, then it was an indoor mall, and now it's kind of a half and half outdoor, half indoor mall again. So trust me, I've been around, you know, you guys know, you know, when you were 11, you had already stayed out all night till 11, you know, on, on, on your speed bike, on your, on your 10 speed, on your land cruiser, on your skateboard. I had, I got that, you know, dick eye from my dad, like, where have you been for nine hours? Why didn't you call? And I'm like, I was, you know, I, I, I rode my bike to the beach and back and, and in the meantime, we went to a park and we hung out and we climbed trees and we started a fire and we went to the liquor store, several liquor stores, plural. 11, you've seen a lot, right? So, so the thing is, uh, Christopher Reeve was not, he was not a known, uh, he was not a known factor. He was not a known actor to the public. He was an unknown. He was the big kind of, you know, fresh face. Now, here's the deal. Look at what's going on. Number one movie in 1979. What is happening right now? What are we looking at all right right now? I told you I don't I don't cover this stuff. That's not my that's not my point of interest, and you certainly don't need me, you know, piling on. But we all know that every day it's who is going to be the new Superman for Warner Brothers. We're in this cycle all over again. Who is James Gunn going to cast? What which of these you know uh, you know five not quite unknown but not a list blockbuster you know, movie stars, is he going to make his Superman? The, the rumors are flying all over the place. There's a couple of actually established names that people have been talking about. I, I thought only I was, you know, checking this kind of stuff out in my own little nerd realms in comic books. But then I heard my my my, my kids talking about these same rumors. So it really is, uh, it, you know, the, the stuff is out there. It's going around. And, uh, and I mean, we are in this exact same cycle right now. Who will be James Gunn Superman as he has announced that he is going to make the new Superman movie. Uh he's shown that he wrote the draft, he's going to direct it. It's going to be a big deal. It's his follow-up to his, you know, extended time on uh on the Guardians and it's his, it's his second time, you know, in the DC universe is in cinematically. Uh given that he did the sequel to Suicide Squad and of course then he did HBO's or or HBO Max or I think now it's called Max uh Peacemaker. So, you know, he has definitely done more than than, than, than dip his toe in, into the DC Comics realm. But Superman's a big deal. They, they really need to get Superman right because the last time they got Superman right was here. It was here. Now, when, when I talk about the supporting cast, obviously Marlon Brando is, is you know, was ruling the world from, from his award-winning performance as Godfather. And, and, and Marlon Brando was, you know, a dominant force in movies even kids like me and again we knew him from all the tv movies that our parents were watching featuring you know marlon brando and feature featuring gene hackman and you know when you look at at uh somebody like a gene hackman i had come to know gene hackman and this will inform where we go with this in a little while i had come to know gene hackman from all of the different uh movies that I had seen him on on TV because they were on Sunday night movies, you know, afternoon movies and my and trust me my 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 parents they liked they liked watching movies, my mom especially, so we always had movies on and those Friday night movies and those Sunday night movies were a constant uh in our house and that's how I would get to know Gene Hackman's performance in something like The French Connection or The Poseidon Adventure or The Conversation. He's in Young Frankenstein, okay? So I had seen him in all these dramatic roles, except for Young Frankenstein, but I had seen him, he had really, you know, had these very dramatic, very gritty roles. You know, the, the, the guy that leads, does his best to lead everyone to safety after the giant 
ocean liner gets overturned in the Poseidon Venture. Uh, the French Connection's a gritty thriller, one of the best car chases on film. Um, he had really, you know, made a name for himself. Uh, I mean, a bridge too far. He's just in so many different dramatic roles. So then when he was Lex Luthor, I got to be honest, it was the one part of the, the, the movie that I was like, this doesn't track for me as a comic book fan who, who buys all the action comics and Superman books. And we're going to get to how, you know, prominent Superman was for DC at the time. We've mentioned it in other podcasts before how he was the, for lack of a better term, the Batman of that era of, of what Batman means to DC. Now Superman was in the late seventies. And, and part of it was because of all the money that was going into the development and eventually film, eventual filming and then production and marketing and, you know, release of the Superman movie in 1978, because, you know, after Star Wars ruled, this was the next big, it's not a sci-fi movie, but it was, it was certainly a, you know, a, a fantastic, a fantasy kind of realm uh, blockbuster. Some of, the, some of the reviews that came out at the time would call Superman like, like a romantic fantasy adventure. So, so it was the giant blockbuster, you know, movie in that slot in 1978, in Christmas 1978. It did so well. It made ninety, roughly ninety-five million dollars of its of its money, uh, ninety ninety-three million two hundred ninety-two thousand dollars of its uh, accumulated release. It made uh, in in nineteen seventy-nine, not nineteen seventy-eight. So it was it was actually, uh, you know, even though it was the top. It's the top released movie of 1978 because it was released in 1978, but it made all the scratch in in 1979, and uh, I mean, just absolutely incredible the amount of of uh, of money that this film made, and it, it made like 130 million total, so 93 uh, million dollars in 1979 alone, alone, enough to put it at the top of the charts and. Christopher Reeve immediately became a recognizable icon, and, they, and and we didn't know what we didn't know as kids at the time because we didn't have the internet, we didn't have any social media to let us know this. We didn't even have like access Hollywood Entertainment Tonight shows. They were just kind of gonna gonna start happening soon. Like maybe you had a reporter beat. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really age myself here. There was a the biggest Hollywood reporter that I remember seeing on the beat when I was a kid. Her name was Rona Barrett, and Rona Barrett would come up and she would talk like this a little, little barbara walters in her game hi everyone i'm rona barrett with today's hollywood news and she would tell you like superman's number one at the box office christopher reeve was looking to get other roles but we didn't know that superman 2 had already been filmed by the time we're seeing superman 1 that they had already gone far beyond the movie that we've seen and 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 gone into a second film, which is then going to get a second director to finish it. But so they've already got two, roughly two movies worth of material by the time we see this first one by Richard Donner and uh, produced by the Salkines. Uh, the, 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 that's the first time I had ever seen the, 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 the name the Salkines. And, uh, and, and this movie was a giant runaway smash, the number one movie of 1979. Number two. We're going to circle back to Superman for, for several different reasons, but I, I'll, I'll cap it with the Gene Hackman of it all. The movie works so well that even though Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor did not reflect 
the purple and green suit with the with the jetpack and the laser guns uh, version of of the comic books that I was getting. The Superman, the action comics, the DC Comics presents, Superman was everywhere. Even though Gene Hackman didn't reflect that, and he really wasn't a scientist. He was just a criminal mind. He was a brilliant criminal mind, but the way they portrayed him was so fun. And he sold you. He just completely sold you on the fact that, hey, I'm this version of Superman's Lex Luthor, and you're going to dig me. And they had amazing chemistry, he and Christopher Reeve. But Christopher Reeve became overnight a global movie sensation. Superman swept the entire world. Uh, overall, the movie made in $1979, it, it made $300 million, which was massive. Again, Warner Brothers' uh, biggest release Warner Brothers biggest success at that time and Warner Brothers was a big studio that knew how to make big big gigantic successful movies and so uh so you know Superman was a giant feather in their cap and a second one is on the way and so so this really positioned them well for as you know many Superman movies to come but it's ironic that we are literally in the cycle again and we are all wondering can after after the polarization of Man of Steel a movie I love, another Henry Cavill, much the same, much like Christopher Reeve, a guy who maybe you'd seen in a couple things, but wasn't a household name, wasn't as as, as popular as Superman was going to make. And that, that role can really do a ton for you. I am not a fan of the Brandon Routh uh, Superman movie. It, it, it's a movie that, that seemed like a, almost an imitation of the Donner movies. I know that the director was very purposeful. Brian Singer was very purposeful in how he was trying to Make it hue as close as possible to the the Dick Donner Superman vision. It's just that that movie just runs in place. It just never gets traction. It never gets going. I was tremendously disappointed at the time, but I don't want to give much more than that. Of course, I saw it. Of course, I experienced it when Brandon Routh was cast. Again, big deal, just like Cavill, just like Christopher Reeves. But Christopher Reeve, the 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 interesting thing is they are still trying to capture the magic that this movie made that the way that this movie made everybody feel because my dad took me to see superman it was pouring rain christmas week 1978 again i've told you this weirdo thing about how my because <laughs> my dad was a baptist minister he did not want to be seen in a movie theater in the city that 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 we our church was in which so he would drive me to like garden grove fountain valley and for those who who know the um um orange county it's a couple cities away that those are 20 minute out of the way, but he didn't want to be seen. Even Superman, even Star Wars. <laughs> this is the insanity of it, right? These these uh, these movies that are totally harmless. It's not like he's taking him. It's not like he's taking me to see Rosemary's Baby or The Omen or The Exorcist. Okay, uh, he's taking me to see Superman. But we go. It's pouring rain. Then it is pouring rain. We go inside. I am blown away by every single frame of Superman. And uh, and on the way out, and look, I'm not going to kid. You. I'm not. I'm. I'm not kidding around. We really need to establish that, like John Williams' score is is this Superman score is a rival, really, uh, for what he accomplished with Star Wars, and they were so brilliant to get him. And when you if you've seen John Williams at the Hollywood Bowl, and 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 God bless him, he's still doing it at his very advanced age. But about ten years ago, and he I mean he did it last year. He's still doing it. But when we saw him about a decade back, it it is. The crowd goes nuts for both. They go nuts, equally nuts. Uh, Superman definitely gets more of a oomph than the, Indy, the Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark theme. But Superman and Star Wars are slugging it out for his most significant, uh, you know, soundtrack, 
uh, just just themes, scores, and 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 I'm telling you, man, I ran out of that theater. My my arms straight right in front of me, like I was flying. So my arm, my legs are booking. I ran so far ahead of my dad into the rain, acting like I'm sli- flying because I too believed that 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 a man could fly, and I wanted to be that man who was flying. Eleven year old Robbie Liefeld was flying around in the parking lot in the rain. As dad was searching, where, where did we park again? As we found our Buick and, uh, and he unlocked it and I got in soaked and all I want to do is, oh my gosh, dad. And did you, when, when he, when he turned the, when he, when he turned the world on its axis and he, and he reversed time. And what about when, when he, when he, when he lifted that helicopter, my dad would always just say, oh, I'm really glad you liked it, Robbie. I like a good drama. So, uh, always, always reminded me he liked a good drama. And I'm like, did we say drama? Is, is it, I thought it was drama. But, you know, we had a washing machine. If you had Midwest, Midwestern parents, my parents were both from, from the Midwest in Southern California raising me. Washing machines, and they liked a good drama. So anyway, uh, Superman. God, I've, I've dwelled a lot on this, but it's a big deal. Superman the movie. Amityville Horror was the number two movie in 1979, which is crazy. Um, like, I knew it was a hit movie. It was a hit book. The book was burning up the charts. I know this because my mom and my sister would read anything that came out on the charts. My wife is slightly like that now. She, she goes, oh, that must be interesting. Boom, reads it in a weekend. Oh, now I know everything. Sometimes when we're driving around doing errands, I'm like, will you tell me that best-selling book again? She's like, sure. Um, the uh, Amityville Horror starred Josh Brolin's dad, James Brolin, who's a big star, who had been a big uh, movie star, television star. And uh, that movie went on to garner uh, a giant 86 million. It was, it was the story of a, of a, it was, and again, it was, you know, there was, a, it got a lot of press. It was on all the news shows. It was on local newscasts that the, the story of the Amityville horror, um, and, and this family that moved into this, um, the, 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 this, uh, this home that, that seemingly terrorized them. And so, so, uh, <clears throat> that really captivated audiences and, and, and grabbed people. And, uh, and, and they went crazy. And, and here's the interesting thing, you guys, you know, not only do you have, you know, um, m- m- Mr. Mr. James Brolin, um, <clears throat> le- leading, you know, uh, the cast of the Amityville horror, but you also have Margot Kidder. So this may be like, like Lois Lane, Margot Kidder, you know, her, uh, her giant flex, of her life is, is 1979 and she's a terrific actor, but playing Kathy Lutz and Lois Lane put her at like the top of the Hollywood food chain in regards to, uh, to, to the box office of, of 1979. So you've got Superman at number one, you've got the Amityville horror at, at number two. And there's some cool stuff in Amityville horror. I, I, I was able to see it when it got, when it was, was played on, uh, on television a couple of years later. Uh, my parents did not, under any circumstance, want me seeing it. They knew that things scared me very easily, and and I would never, you know, I would never be able to sleep if I had seen it. But I saw it when it was eventually broadcast because uh, we had we had cable, and when it came to the cable stations, that's how I saw it. But the ads, the uh, again, the, the posters, the promotions for that were everywhere. So it's not a big shock to me that it made eighty six million dollars and was the number two movie of nineteen seventy nine. Rocky two, the giant sequel to the really underdog movie rocky stallone was back at it 
rematch with Apollo Creed, made $85 million. Here's where things get interesting. Again, 1979 to me has three, maybe four really incredible movies. That's why we launched with movies. Um, So number four is another Christmas release. This one is Christmas holiday season 1979. Superman is holiday season 1978, but makes so much of its money, keeps playing, will not stop playing, that it makes like three quarters of its money in 79, not 78. And we've seen that before. Avatar technically, both of them released end of the year, then just they play January, February, March. They just keep vacuuming up all the box office in sight. But Star Trek, the motion picture, again, you know, this is, this and Superman, even though Superman was in development prior to Star Wars, fast-tracked with Star Wars. Star Trek, the motion picture, fast-tracked with the success of 1977's Star Wars. This is really the rebirth of the Star Trek, uh, you know, I want to say Enterprise. <laughs> so I'm going to say it. It's really the rebirth of the Star Trek Enterprise, okay? You know, uh, pun intended. They, the, the, the show had really been off the air for, for the greater part of a decade. And, uh, but in reruns, it found a popularity it did not have in its first run. Kids like me, and I've done an entire dedicated, you know, which Trek are you? It was not, not too long ago. I did an entire episode devoted to Star Trek. And thank you for listening. You guys really liked that one. That, that one did extremely well. Uh, I, I don't know why it took so long to, to, to put the focus on it, but Star Trek, the motion picture was made in in order for Paramount to kind of see if maybe they had their Star Wars. Now, here's the deal. Star Trek, the motion picture did, in in, in case you're wondering, it absolutely outperformed one metric of, of, uh, of, 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 of Star Wars in that, in that it gave, uh, Paramount and literally, you know, uh, for, for for the uh for the time period the 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 movie was like the number one opening weekend and at, like of all time and again like w- whether it's whether it's uh whether it's superman or now star trek you're getting this incredible these incredibly you know impressive historic for their time records you you got the highest Opening weekend gross gross of all time on December seventh, nineteen seventy nine, when a movie made nearly twelve million dollars in its first weekend. It made eleven million dollars nine hundred and twenty six thousand and some change in its opening weekend. It beat the prior opening three day weekend of Superman one year prior, which opened at ten point four million. Um, so so it's just insane, you know. Uh, Star Wars. Uh, had 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 a re-release, a re-release in 1978 that did 10 million. So uh, when Star Trek, the motion picture made 17 million dollars in one week, they were like, you know, this is fantastic. We were we were absolutely, you know, right in 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 reigniting this franchise and getting this out there. Now the it was very cost prohibitive, and uh, and the movie was very expensive. And and it and it did not open to universal acclaim, but clearly it showed that Star Trek has a giant fandom. All in all, uh, worldwide, it op- it 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 did a hundred and thirty nine million dollars. Again, th- consider that. Uh, con- consider that. What what I told you the the number one movie of the year 
ended up doing 300 million worldwide. That's how successful Superman was. But Star Trek broke records, highest grossing weekend of all time in 1979 and made $82 million and some change to put it at number four for the year of 1979. And and look, that movie and the success of that movie and the holy crap, what if we had made this movie even a little more fun? And you all know how how, how they course corrected because there are people who will swear by that, this movie. I will swear by Star Trek, the motion picture set design, the cinematography. It is shot brilliantly. The costume designs, it looks amazing. It is super boring. They put another cut of it on, on Paramount Plus about a year ago, a brand new director's cut, a brand new restoration of the, of, of the, of the picture. And I, I'm telling you, little 11-year-old Robbie was not wrong. And so many of the fans who are like, this movie is, is dull. It's a little dull. It, it, it suffers from kind of grinding to a snail's place, taking the focus off of the major characters, putting them on brand new kind of supporting characters. But with Wrath of Khan, they got it right. Giant, you know, uh, action-packed, fun. Uh, the, com- the camaraderie was back. It, it, it inhabited more of the space that we, the, the, the creative space that we associated, you know, the characters from the Enterprise with. and. It, it, it did extremely well and, and only, you know, doubled down on the fact that we love these characters when presented in the right light. And obviously we've never looked back. And now we live in a world where there's how many different, are there four different options on Paramount Plus of brand new Star Trek mater- material? I mean, the Star Trek, the motion picture really was after a decade of, 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 of being in mothballs, but the reruns showing that the fan base was so strong, they made this motion picture and it was uh, good enough to put it on fourth of the entire year of, of, of 1979. The number five movie for 1979 is, is, is again, I told you there's three or four on this list that are just going to blow you away. Ridley Scott's Alien, okay? If you could believe someone could, uh, could fly in Superman, uh, they, they wanted you to know that, that no one can hear you scream in outer space, okay? No one can hear you scream. It was terrifying. Now, here's the deal. Did I see this in 1979? I did not. I did not see this in 1979. Uh, it was uh, way too scary. Again, the, the parents aren't, aren't, aren't going to let me out. R-rated. Way, 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 way too, 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 too risky. But the ads, the influence were everywhere. And to tie it directly into the comic books, the comic book adaptation of Alien was released uh, as a graphic novel that, again, I'm not even going to comic stores in 1979. That I'm about six months away from, uh, from, from discovering those. Uh, but <clears throat> the, the Alien uh, adaptation was done by no less than Walter Simonson. And it was released by Heavy Metal in a graphic novel form the same graphic albums that maybe you picked up the death of captain marvel or the or new mutants um it was released by heavy metal it was written and adapt scripted and adapted by archie goodwin and it was completely illustrated by walt simonson uh they did an artist edition not too long ago a couple years back of all the pages because walt had kept all the original art so they were able to get the scans and make this happen but i came to know alien it was called Alien, the Illustrated Story. Uh, that copy is never far from reach. It, there, there, there's, there's a shelf that I have kind of th- th- this, this, uh, the, 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 these one shots and these kind of important 
relics, I'll call them, from, from that era. Uh, and I'm always grabbing this and, and, and checking this out because I remember this is what I was able to purchase. Alien, they wanted that comic book component. Now remember, back with Star Wars, going to Marvel Comics saying, hey, we need this, we want this, we want a comic book to get out there and, and really push this. This is really the, the you know another extension of that. Again, another uh, extension of everything that 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 Star Wars had set in motion. Now, Star Trek: The Motion Picture also had a Marvel Comics adaptation, uh, and Marvel Comics entered into a brief license to do Star Trek. But Alien was done by Heavy Metal uh, in a graphic novel form that I saw at Walden Books, the bookstore in the Anaheim Mall. And I'm like, wait, I know these names. I know Archie Goodwin. He writes Star Wars. I know Walt Simonson. He did Hercules and Metal Men for DC Comics. And he would shortly after this do Battlestar Galactica on his way to doing Star Wars, on his way to doing the record-breaking, you know, historically impactful uh, Thor run that, that, that is still being felt today that is second only to the Jack Kirby Thor run. Walt Simonson just absolutely, with his page design, his pacing, his layouts, and, and, and his incredibly unique rendering, figure char- character work, uh, just illustrates the hell out of this. It is, it is beautiful. If you can catch it in black and white, if you can get the original in color, um, you know, again, they're, they're on eBay. They're easy to get. They're not too terribly expensive. But I encountered Alien, the movie, the number five movie of 1979, I experienced as a comic book only for years until Alien uh, came on television. I'm going to tell you, I'm so glad I didn't see it in the theater when I was 11 years old, because when I saw it on HBO, Showtime, whichever, you know, uh, network showed it, uh, we all know that if you've seen Alien, Ridley Scott's Alien, you've, you, you, there's that period where that guy is in the tube or the, you know, tunnel, he's going up and, and they keep telling him there's a dot, there's something near him. They see it, they see it, they're tracking, they're, they're telling him through his comms that, you know, there's something, it's almost on top of you. And he's like, guys, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. And then finally there's the reveal when he trains his light above him and the xenomorph is like and i've never uh jumped that far i was sitting squat position ass on the carpet and i jumped so hard that i hit the table behind me and went over it and fell because i was so terrified i was watching it alone i was watching it like a saturday night uh and and i it was a jump scare to 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 beat all jump scares, I've never been that terrified. That absolutely just holy shit, um, <laughs> just absolutely uh, pulled pushed me all the way back. And and so, uh, man, uh, Alien was number five uh, for 1979, making just shy of 80 million dollars, which is incredible because the budget on that was was not comparable to like. Superman or Star Trek. Alien, the movie, the first Ridley Scott, uh, literally sci fi horror movie, made $78,944,000. Rounding out the top 10, there's Apocalypse Now, seminal, you know, Francis Ford Coppola movie. Uh, 10, which put Bo Derek on on the map, had had, um, Caucasian women all over the world braiding their hair uh, to, to look the way. Bo Derek adopting uh, adopting the, the the braided hair look, uh, s- s- running on the beach in slow motion in the same way because even again young boys uh, the, the the marketing was on all the television shows that we watched with our families and we were all like oh my gosh is that the most attractive woman I've ever seen Bo Derek running 
in slow motion at me in the commercial for a movie called 10. She is a 10. That is where the, uh, you know, man, that girl's a 10. And we started scoring females in the 70s because of this Dudley Moore, Bo Derek movie called 10, where Dudley Moore, who would go on to be also Arthur, uh, this actor, very funny British actor, would, would fall in love with this beautiful, uh, seemingly unattainable woman. But yes, uh, th- that girl's a 10 is a result of this movie taking it worldwide. The jerk Steve Martin's brilliant comedy, brilliant, brilliant comedy, a, a movie that I, I'm not sure the first 15 minutes can be made again, kind of alongside Blazing Saddles, parts of an airplane. Uh, I watched this or I'll show it to my kids. They're like, how did this get made? And I'm like, well, in today's cancel culture and very thin skinned world that we live in, uh, which is, which is, 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 has a lack of humor. Uh, I'm not sure that the jerk, uh, would, would make it past the first draft moonraker. Okay. Let's, let's keep on this theme of, of things being informed. I've already told you star Trek happens because of star Wars, Superman gets fast tracked and even has a star Wars component to it with John Williams score. Well, you've also got Moonraker. Does James Bond really go up into space, into a space station, if Star Wars didn't rule the box office in the summer of 1977? You know the answer to that. I know the answer to that. The answer is no way in hell. But James Bond, in a, an incredibly entertaining outing by Roger Moore, uh, eventually makes his way in the last act to this incredible, like, like you're like, because it's in modern day. Because this movie is happening in 1979. You know, James Bond is happening in the now. 007 is up in a space station that it must cost billions of dollars. Uh, and, 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 and there's, it's fully staffed. I mean, you want to you hear about fully operational. This station is fully operational. Moonraker, uh, the, 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 it's funny to watch because it's so out there, but it was fun. Did I see that as a kid? That summer I did. It was exciting. The movie posters with James Bond in space in a space suit pulling his gun on you. Jaws was back. The villain Jaws battling, battling him um, you know, on land and, and up in outer space. It is an absolute blast. It, it has all the sci-fi components that they said, well, this is working. We are absolutely going to inform uh, our movie with what audiences are digging in Star Wars in, in the summer of 1977, because conceivably, you know, you're making Moonraker in late 77 or possibly all of 1978, which is plenty of time to have realized what happened on Memorial Day in 1977, summer of 1977, and how it took everybody by storm. Then you're applying those notes to your script, to your draft, as you can see for your next James Bond movie. And of course, again, you shoot it through 78. Maybe, maybe as, as if rapid, maybe early 79 and boom, it's out summer of 1979, James Bond in his spacefaring mission as, as, uh, as, as 007. So, so you've got Moonraker, you've got Superman, you've got Star Trek, the motion picture. And I'm going to, I'm going to even go out on a limb and say alien owes something to Star Wars going, look, we can do people love sci-fi. They want sci-fi. They want to go out of outer space. We're just going to give them the hardcore R rated version. If you've never seen Ridley Scott's Alien, it is mind-blowingly, it's a perfect film. It's, it's, it's graphic, gruesome, brilliant. It's tense. It's terse. Uh, man, it is just a phenomenal film. I cannot believe, like 1977, I'm sorry, 1979 is an absolute banger in the world of, of, of motion pictures. Again, Superman, Amityville Horror, 
Rocky 2, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Alien, round out your top five. Apocalypse Now is six, seven uh, is, is the movie 10 with Bo Derek. Uh, the Jerk, Moonraker is number nine, and Meatballs, sorry, uh, you know, which, which rewrote basically the script for comedies for the next several years. Without Meatballs, you don't get like every goofy movie like it that follows. Um, the, it, it, it was, uh, while, while it wasn't quite the arrival of, uh, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> while it wasn't quite the, the arrival of, of the Bill Murray, Ivan Reitman brand, as we would come to know and love it, it was certainly because, because, uh, Bill Murray with Caddyshack had already kind of, uh, <clears throat> you know, blown everybody away. Actually scratch that right on the cheek. Caddyshack would not come out for another year. So um, Meatballs was the arrival of the Bill Murray uh, brand as we would come to know and love it, okay? Uh, uh, Meatballs did indeed uh, be- beat Caddyshack. Ivan Reitman directs this movie. Ivan, Re- Ivan Reitman and, uh, and, and Bill Murray would get to know each other really well. Stripes and then ultimately Ghostbusters. So, so that rounded out the top 10. It, it, it had to have been a, a super cheap movie, but, but, but Bill Murray was flying high. Okay, if this, is, if this is to be believed, the budget on Meatballs was $1.6 million. So yes, Caddyshack would follow the next summer and continue this role. So excuse me for my momentary reversal of facts and time as we know it. Uh, the movie was made for $1.6 million. It made. $70 million meatballs was the highest grossing Canadian production at the time. Uh, but meatballs rounds out our top 10. A giant surprise hit was the top, the, the talk of, of, of that, that summer. Uh, you know, just in, incredible the, to, to get a movie that made one point, was made for $1.2 million that goes on to make $70 million worldwide, $70 million. In the U.S. and Canada, it made $44 million, but $70 million worldwide on that minuscule budget. So uh, so yeah, huge. It was the beginning of our Bill Murray fascination. And trust me, I was there. I would see Caddyshack. I would see Stripes. I would see all of these uh, Bill, Bill Murray productions. He, he really was the, the Adam Sandler and the Will Ferrell of his age where just his face in a movie on a poster in a trailer would just put our asses in those seats. So I have given you, you know, uh, man, we've spent a lot of time on these movies, but I really want to, again, look at and parse the information and go, we are living this cycle again. Okay. Star Trek exists all over the place because of Star Trek, the motion picture. Yes, you go, but but Rob, it's, it's the original series. The series was canceled. It was put in mothballs, reruns, got it back up and running to the point where they took a risk. They put this giant movie out. I covered this again, that Star Trek podcast, Superman, the movie tops, the charts just cannot stop playing, cannot, you know, stop pleasing audiences all over the world. And right now we are in a cycle where we are about to get another Superman. They want to recapture this magic. The one thing people say again and again and again is that no Superman film has captured the magic of, of 1978's, Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Marlon Brando, Margot Kidder, Blockbuster. And it's interesting as they continue to try. 
as they're going to continue to try. I'm not sure you can because this was the first and it did take a generation by storm, a generation that, that we're not in our wheelchairs yet. We are not like, like the generation that put this on top is in their fifties, like myself, the kids who saw this. So, so, you know, we're not yet the geriatrics. In our minds, it's kind of fresh. It's kind of fresh. 1978, 1979 doesn't seem that long ago. But here we are as they try to launch the fourth cinematic version of Superman. And I I don't care about any of the black and white films, anything with George Reeves, anything predating Christopher Reeve. I don't care. Let's count only from Christopher Reeve, the big, giant, worldwide blockbuster hit. Okay? From Brandon Routh to then Henry Cavill. And now, as we look to see who is going to get cast. What is James Gunn going to do? It is a big, big swing. It is the biggest bite out of the apple you're going to attempt, okay? Um, make sure those dentures are glued in. You do not want to break your teeth on that apple because this one, it's, t- it's tough. Obviously, we're, 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 we're about to get, an, you know, James Bond has never left us. I would say that, again, this, this, uh, this grouping of, of, of movies is as relevant as anything. Amityville Horror kind of started the modern day like horror film. I know it's been, yes, Amityville Horror was remade by Ryan Reynolds. Come on, come on. You didn't think I knew that? Come on, that, that, there's, there's a cool little tether there. But uh, we're still getting Rocky films in the form of Creed. Okay, Superman, recast, Star Trek. We're getting it all over our small screens. Hopefully getting another one on the big screen. Alien, I think they're doing a series. And there's still James Bond movies. This 1979 list, you want to talk about the past informing the present and giving you a glimpse of what's come at the future. I cannot think of a more reflective list than the one that we've discovered here. We are absolutely too jam-packed in 1979 to make this just one episode. So you're hearing it right now, <laughs> live as I am making this podcast, that so we are we are splitting this into into two. 1979, part one, 1979, part two. What we're going to do at the end of this episode is dip our toe in the comic book world. We've already kind of gone back and forth. Superman, again, was a giant component for DC. And from the DC Comics publishing uh, uh, you know, equation in 1979, they just gave you a whole lot of, of Superman. And not just Superman, anything with the super in it, okay? So you got Superman, you got action comics featuring superman but it it says superman at the top featured in action comics they had the superman logo slightly smaller above the action comics at this time because they wanted you to focus on that superman that exact same logo that you were seeing on that christopher reeve blockbuster so you had superman you had superman in action comics you had the superman family okay you had super friends where superman is front and center on each of the super friends comics which reflects the saturday morning cartoon and then you had Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. Yes, the Legion of Superheroes was not its own title yet. For years upon years upon years, it was Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. They were part of Superboy's numbering, Superboy's uh, legacy comic book. And later they would make a big deal spinning it off into a separate book. But Superman, Superman in Action Comics, Super Friends, Superman Family, which was a giant size issue that gave you not just adventures of Superman. But his friends, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and then you had Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. Five monthly comics with Superman, the Superman logo, the super of the Superman logo, Super Friends, Superboy in the title. DC Comics Presents was a dedicated book, the team-up book, the Marvel team-up book for, for DC Comics and 
I got to be honest, that's the best rendition you're going to get as Superman in 1979. Jose Garcia, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez is arguably one of the greatest draftsmen in the history of comics. I would not put him ahead of uh, guys like John Buscema and Neil Adams, but he was definitely in, in the, in, in, in the, you know, maybe third in line in that incredible list of outstanding illustrators and draftsmen. And he was DCs and DCs alone for the better part of, of the 70s and the 80s. And his depiction of Superman became the depiction that we saw first, you know, and foremost. He was doing covers. He would do interiors. His DC Comics Presents uh, what was, was the Superman that you loved the most. And so DC Comics Presents, so you got that Superman logo there too. That's six, six regular titles. DC Comics Presents was their Marvel team up. And Superman would team up with the Atom, the Flash, Martian Manhunter, Phantom Stranger, you know, the Creeper, whoever it was. Captain Comet. Yes, go look up. There is a Captain Comet. And he teamed up with Superman in DC Comics Presents. Then he had World's Finest, which, as I've covered many times, paired Superman and Batman together. That, that was their shared, you know, book where they would solve crimes and battle evil together. World's Finest. You had seven Superman theme books, and I'm not counting the Justice League, which would bring us to our eighth. Because Superman, I went back, I looked at every cover in 1979, and if you don't think that editorial made sure that Superman was front and center, get him out there, make sure he's in the equation. Superman is featured on the Justice League. So let's go backwards. Justice League with Superman. DC Comics presents World's Finest. There's three. You got Superman Action Comics. There's, there's four and five. You've got Superboy and the Legion. And you got Superman family. I mean, you guys, Superman was the meal ticket for DC Comics in, in 1979. They were riding that success of that movie. They, Warner Brothers had found their new worldwide icon. You, you're like, he was always a worldwide icon. Nothing like he was with this. And when you hear the dun 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 I wish I could afford the John Williams score on my podcast, but that is not in the future. But DC had doubled all the way in to uh, into Superman. Now, I'm going to split the comic book, and we're going to do the rest of the comic books of 1979 after this next segment. We're going to do that and music and TV in 1979 Part 2. But what I want to tease you with is 1979 was when licensing books boomed. Again, the past informs the present, gives you a glimpse of the future. Licensing, which they were reluctant to do and they didn't want to do, but then licensing saves their bacon, saves their ass, puts Marvel from in the red to in the black, you know, when they take on Star Wars, which they were reluctant to do. And and in, in so many of my podcasts, I have covered this. If this is your very first observations, go back, look up Star Wars, look up the history of Star Wars, look up whatever has Star Wars in the descriptions of the titles, and you will get the full uh you'll just, you'll get the full understanding of what was going on when Marvel was reluctant. Stanley himself has penned, you know, committed to the fact that he didn't want to do it. Well, they did it. And it was huge. It was a giant game changer for them. It poured millions into Marvel publishing at a time where they needed it desperately. It is what separated Marvel and DC. DC imploded. It was called the DC implosion. And that happened because they didn't have that Star Wars money. Well, if you don't think that not only did everyone come knocking at Marvel's door, but Marvel made a, a special like desk for them, the licensing desk. Because in 1979, you've got Battlestar Galactica, you've got the Shogun Warriors, you've got Godzilla, you've got the Micronauts, and you end the year with ROM. So including Star Wars, 
And again, Conan is a licensed book. They had had success with Conan, but they didn't, hadn't really gone outside of that to any success until Star Wars. And that's a big, that's almost, you know, six, seven years between Conan and Star Wars. But they took on Battlestar Galactica, which was the number one rated show the year that it was, especially that three-hour pilot, just broke the, 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 the history books in terms of ratings. Marvel had the license. They did Battlestar Galactica. They, they put significant talent towards that book. And uh, Klaus Janssen, Walt Simonson, Sal Buscema, um, uh, uh, Ernie Cologne. I mean, Battlestar Galactica was a book I never missed because I never missed the show. I wanted the, the, the companion comic and I got it. Marvel was into Battlestar Galactica. There was a line of toys, Shogun Warriors, that had come out over here in the States. And, and Marvel had put uh, Herb Trimp of the Hulk fame on it, just as he had been doing Godzilla. They were doing Godzilla. Now Godzilla and Shogun Warriors may have started right at in 1978, but they are carrying through and available each and every month and doing great business for Marvel Comics in 1979. Battlestar Galactica, Shogun Warriors, Godzilla. Kicked off in the fall of 78, but roaring into 1979 is the Micronauts, which I have done entire dedicated episodes to because you cannot get these reprints. And going back through 1979 and looking at each and every uh, issue of Micronauts. Trust me, go look out, go look for my dedicated Micronauts podcast where I go into much more depth on this and then find these issues. They cannot be reprinted. They cannot be collected. Marvel created a significant amount of supporting cast and in fact, you know, main members of the Micronauts team in addition to what the toy company brought. And because Marvel did that, you cannot reprint these older issues and Micronauts like Shogun Warriors and like ROM interacted with the Marvel Universe and Godzilla. The only one that didn't is Battlestar Galactica, obviously, in Star Wars. But uh, Godzilla, Shogun Warriors, Micronauts, ROM, they would interact with the greater Marvel Universe. They would interact with Fantastic Four. They would interact with Man-Thing. They would, um, you know, reflect uh, uh, the Avengers. I mean, the Avengers and Fantastic Four battle Godzilla, okay, in his own comic. Again, I've done a dedicated all of these titles, except for the Shogun Warriors, have had dedicated podcasts that you should seek out and you should listen to and you should inform. Uh, really, really great time for licensed comics at Marvel. Micronauts, the entirety of 1979 is, is to me, the best of the Micronauts. Michael Golden, uh, he would only do this much work again on a monthly basis when he would do a, a Vietnam-themed comic book called The Nam from Marvel in the late 80s. But I don't think any of that is as good as this stuff. This is Michael Golden, one of the most influential artists of all time because he influenced uh, guys like Art Adams who would then go influence guys like Todd McFarlane, myself, Jim Lee, everybody at Image Comics. Way too many names to mention. Michael Golden is still around and kicking and he's he's amazing. He does uh, convention appearances. He does kick-ass commissions. I look at him online all the time, but his legend was born right here. The Micronauts, Commander Ran, Marionette, Microtron, Biotron, Baron Karza. Uh, Force Commander. I mean, th- th- just incredible, like incredible artwork. Michael Golden went on to do one uh, issue of Star Wars, and it is just fantastic. Uh, later on, uh, about a year after this, but his Shogun Warrior, I'm, I'm sorry, his Micronauts work is stellar, and that is a defining moment of 1979 is the, the Micronauts. It was a, trust me, this book went up the charts. It became one of Marvel's like most in-demand books because of the work done in these issues. And then ROM launches in late fall 1979. ROM is another t- toy that had a very limited, it did not take, it did not you know, go. Micronauts lasted on the toy shelves, dominated actually for several years. 
nowhere near Star Wars level, but it was a big deal. It was several several cycles. Toys R Us in walls of Micronauts toys and playsets. Um, Battlestar Galactica limited action figure playability. Uh, uh, Shogun Warriors big giant dominant for a couple of years. Rom like came and went. Didn't even get like one cycle of 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 success. People just didn't take this to Rom. It was one single giant, you know. Uh, like like 12 inch action figure and and people just didn't take to it but the rom comic goes for like seven years because it's so well done and rom fights alongside the x-men battles the hulk i mean really integrates the entire marvel universe into this story it's by bill mantlow and salvia sama they did the first issue and they would do almost every issue for the next four to five years this licensed book boom at marvel was made because star wars did so well and that everybody, again, Star Wars, Star Trek during this time, a licensed property that I'm not, you know, integrating. So check that out. Check that out. So that's Godzilla, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, Shogun Warriors, Micronauts, ROM, and the existing uh, Star Wars. Seven of Marvel's monthly titles were licensed books, and that is because of Star Wars. Everything I na- name after Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Shogun Warriors, Godzilla, Micronauts, ROM, Star Trek are a result of the success of Star Trek, of, of, of Star Wars. And the opportunity that that afforded not only Star Wars, but other people said, well, if we're going to manufacture any success that resembles Star Wars, we need to do what they did. And what they did is they had a comic with Marvel Comics. And Marvel would just, I'm sure by that time, like, here's our standard form, sign it. Here's the deal. We run this show. I understand you have your approvals, whatever, like actors, likenesses, let us know. And we'll just do the stories. And all of these comics are great. The Battlestar Galactica comics are great. The Shogun Warriors are great. The Godzilla comics are great. And when I mean great, I mean highly entertaining. I have nothing but the greatest memories of them. You guys, there are comics I don't like. I just don't talk about them a lot. There are comics in the 80s I can't stand. There's artists I just do not enjoy on any level whatsoever. But I'm not here to make those comics, to paint those in a bad light or make those talents feel bad. But 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, 11-year-old Rob Liefeld, Robbie Liefeld did not like a lot of comics. But these comics, I loved. I, I generally talk about stuff I love, stuff that inspired me. 1979 is a crazy great year. We did the movies. We've just barely dipped our toes into the comics. There's so much more of the comics. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I got nine more items to share with you about the comics of 1979. But that is going to wait till our second part. We're going to do music. Oh my gosh, the music. And we're going to do television, which is really fun. So we're going to do that on our second part. Come back. Find me with 1979 uh, part two. I, I, I'm going to call it 1979, 1979, a year so divine or something corny like that. But we're going to come back and we're going to revisit it uh, on our next podcast. But thank you so much, as always, for listening. I, I just am so thrilled to share this stuff with you guys. And again, think about that list I gave you. Think about what's going on right now. Think about the mirror that 1979 is to 2023, and, uh, and it all kind of starts to make sense. At the end of each and every episode of Rob's Observations, I, I read to you your guys' reviews, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that still. We're just pushing it back even further because this is where we do like our announcements. I want to tell you the comic book that I've been working on for the last several months, what I will do right after this podcast, um, the 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 the, the pages that I will draw and illustrate and create are for a series I've been working on called Deadpool Batterblood. It is the sequel to Deadpool Bad Blood, which shocked everybody, myself included, the world being the number one item, the number one Deadpool. And Deadpool has never been number one before, but in May 
of 2017, Deadpool Bad Blood at $25 topped the charts. You guys loved it. We, we split it up into singles this last fall um, in, in 2022. And Marvel split it up. And we put new pages in, so it'd be somewhat of a new experience. And now the sequel is coming. It arrives June 7th at your comic stores. It is written by me, drawn by me, scripted by my friend Chad Bowers, who I love working with. He has just a great flair for um, dialogue and, 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 and all of the different narratives. And I love working with Chad. He's, he's incredible. I, I think the first issue is spectacular, but it's not as good as the third issue. Like the third issue is fantastic. And the fourth issue, um, I'm so excited for you to get your hands on Deadpool Batter Blood. It hits stores uh, on, on June 7th. And, and, and here's the deal. There is a store called Tustin Tunes and Toys in Tustin, California. Look it up, Tustin Tunes and Toys. Uh, I am doing a signing there on June 10th. It is the only signing I have done in the last 10 months, okay? I have not appeared anywhere since last fall, 2022, and I have no plans to appear anywhere else. And, and if you want to see me in person, I'm signing one copy of Deadpool Batter Blood free for everybody that shows up. You buy Dad, the regular edition, the Rob Liefeld cover, standard edition, Deadpool Batter Blood number one. I will sign it for you right there for free. I want you to have something free. I want you to experience this book. My signing it for free is my incentivize, incentivizing you to grab it. So buy it, buy it from Tustin Tunes and Toys. Meet me June 10th. We're going to have all manner of variants and exclusive product that we have associated with this and so many of the other comics that I've done, but I cannot wait to see you. It is my only personal appearance uh, on, on, on the books for 2023. And again, the first one I've done in 10 months. So I'd love to see you. I would love to press the flesh uh, and see you in person. And we are so excited. One free signature, every Deadpool standard edition of Batter Blood number one. I can't wait to see you there. So see me June 10th, Tustin, Tunes and Toys in Tustin. Um, Look it up to get the the address and, and the location. And I hope to see you there. And again, June 7th, the book hits. The book hits worldwide. So I hope that you guys are able to grab Deadpool, Batter Blood number one. It is such a blast. Cable, Wolverine, the return of a villain that I named Thumper and all the mystery that he represents. Now, you can send your books in for me to sign, which is something that you guys have been asking me forever. And, and I was a long holdout, but now I am doing my first ever private in-house signing with CGC. CGC, the world-renowned grading company. They, they are the ones that stamp those nine eights on those books. That's what we want. That's the holy grail. We want nine eights on our books. We want to get them pressed. We want to get them clean. We want to get them in the best shape possible. Um, I am going to Florida at the end of the summer. You have through July to get your books, your submissions. Maybe it's Youngblood number one. Maybe it's X-Force number one, New Mutants 98, New Mutants 87. Maybe it's my first work at Marvel, my first work at, at, at Deadpool, my first work at Marvel, Marvel Universe, Book of the Dead number 20, released in 1987. Okay, get that book in, uh, uh, whatever you want, my Megaton work, uh, my Snake Eyes stuff, Major X, mail it in to CGC, go to their CGC website, look at the Rob Liefeld signing information, type in Rob Liefeld, there's a new section, I did it right before the show, you can see uh, the different menu of items that you can choose from and get that, there's a personal label, the Liefeld label, I want you to get that Liefeld label, I worked really hard to get to do this Liefeld label, so I am hoping very much that you guys take advantage of that, send your books into CGC by the end of July, do not wait, get them in now, get them in the early section, okay, get them in the early, because I'm going to be there, they tell me I'm going to be there for days signing your books, I cannot wait send them into cgc go to the website get the information get the details and get those off to me so that i can get them at the end of the summer when i am in-house doing my private signing uh, in person in florida at cgc headquarters 
You guys, I am all over social media. I am on Twitter. I am at Robert Life. The blue check is gone in the wave of 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 Musk uh, uh, eliminations. The, the, the blue check is gone, but I am still Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, Robert Liefeld, at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I love talking to you guys. I love interacting with you. The comments, the DMs, um, all the back and forth. We are in the middle of the NBA playoffs. Things are getting lippy. I got to be m- much more in control than I have in the past. I have to control myself. I have to be uh, nice. I have to remember that other teams' fans read comics too, okay? But anyway, on Twitter, comic books, movies. Sports. I'm talking about it all the time. I hope to see you. I am at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. I am showing you pages that I am drawing of Deadpool Batter Blood, um, unnecessary pictures of food that I am eating and restaurants that I am at that you're like, why is he showing this? Uh, I am celebrating my my family, my wife, my kids. I show you pictures. Um, some people say it's cringeworthy. M- maybe it is, but you don't want to miss it. I am at Rob Liefeld. I still have a blue check there. That's a verification. It says it's really me, not all the other phony Rob Liefelds. I love reading your DMs, your messages. Thank you for all the comments you leave on my on my account and the stuff that I put up. I am so thrilled, so excited to share that account with you at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. I look forward to seeing you guys there. There is an app. It is called Whatnot. Go to your store, download the Whatnot app. You will open yourself to a world of incredible collectibles like none other on social media. You want manga, you want anime, you want collectible card games like Yu-Gi-Oh, like Pokemon. Um, They they, they have it all. They have comic books, they have Funko Pops, they have toys. I am... In the toys, comics, Funko Pops kind of realm, I'm Rob Liefeld on whatnot. I do live streams multiple times a week. If you follow me at Rob Liefeld, you'll get a notification when I'm going to go live. We try and do it a, 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 at least a day, 10 hours maybe is, is the most we, we, we've, we've uh, run it down in terms of closeness to doing a show, but you'll get a notification. And when I am live, I am live. It is me talking into the mirror, not some hand putting a comic book and a voice saying, hi, would you like to buy this Spider-Man, blah, blah, blah. No, it's me. I'm talking. It's like an extension of this podcast. Uh, I'm generally much more tired. As I said, when I do this podcast, it is it's generally at 4.30 in the morning that I am bringing you. I am, I am fresh. I am spry, okay? Um, but it's also early in the morning. You sometimes make mistakes. You, 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 you may say something that, that's wrong and errant and then they have to correct yourself. But at night... I'm burned out. I'm grumpy. I'm tired. Um, you should see me. That's the version you're going to get. See, what, what a great salesman I am selling you my grumpy, tired version of myself on whatnot. But I have signed comic books, exclusive comic books. We have a Spider-Man exclusive, a Brigade exclusive. We have a Deadpool New Mutants exclusive, and we have Deadpool Batter Blood exclusives that are coming. We offer them all on our show, signed books uh, from past uh, going back 30 years, uh, trading cards, uncut sheets, posters. We've got everything from the vault. Uh, I, I, I draw on Funko Pops, learn what a drop shadow chisel, what a blood splatter chisel is. <laughs> Lifehill chisel signature. People dig them. You'll dig them. Follow me on whatnot. Get that notification that I'm going live and join me. We do we do at least one to, to three giveaways per show. We just give it away. It's part of the show. You You just have to follow and you'll be part of the giveaway and you may end up with a free signed Funko Pop with a remark on it. You just never know. I look forward to seeing you on whatnot at Rob Liefeld. Follow my my live streams and get those notifications and let's hang out. On Facebook, I have a group. It's called Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. A lot of the conversations that we start here on the podcast continue there. We we, we talk about the stuff that we talk about on the show. We talk about um, 30 
seven plus years of comic book stuff that I've done, characters I've created. There's art contest. Everyone's showing their different collections, their different comics. We're talking about different topics. Join us. Love to have you. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Myself and a gentleman named Terry Sala are the administrators. So if you get clicked through by either of us, uh, you know you're at the right place. So we look forward to seeing you. Facebook group, not a page, Facebook group, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Um, we would love to have you. It's it's a 24-7 party nonstop. I'm, I'm always, my, I, am, I am interacting on that page every single day. I'm showing old art. There, there's stuff I'm finding all the time in my drawers. 30 years, 30 years uh, ago, artwork on Profit, on Youngblood, on X-Force, on, on Blood Wolf. I, I, I would love for you to see it. Join us on Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond on Facebook. Well, that is the end of 1979 um, uh, part one. And I'm going to end with one of your reviews. When you guys give us reviews on this show, we read them. And I am so touched and so moved by the fact that you guys even uh, hit your keyboards and and give us these incredible, uh, incredible reviews and, and these five stars because they help they help the show stand out on the platform. And again, you guys know the show is free. We don't monetize it. I don't read commercials. Um, I just want to give this to you and, and, and keep this going. And, and I'm going to tell you when, you, when I see you, as I'm going to see some of you at the Tustin Tunes and Toys signing on, Jan, uh, on June 10th, you guys are going to tell me, and it's going to move me deeply. You're going to tell me how much you have listened to this show and, and maybe something you learned from it from one of my dusty old interview magazines that I kept or, or, or some factoid that I shared or some facts or memo that I read to you from the 90s. And it just moves me. It moves me. I'm, I, I love that we're able to make this connection. And I, I just thank you so much. And today, define the line. Define the line. Wrote us a review. He gave us five stars. He even worked in like three fire like flames. It said bed, best podcast out there. I have listened to every episode three or four times. I love all the all the behind the scenes stories, and just the fire and the passion that Rob has keeps me coming back for more. It has definitely reignited my love of comics. Okay, it, can it get better than that? Okay, it doesn't. It, it, I love the passion. I love that you love the show. Thank you. Define the line. Thank you for being so generous. Thank you for saying that this reignited your passion for comics. That that just brings a giant smile to my face as I'm going to sign off and go make comics. Okay. So, so I mean, there's that application. So, hey, guys, thank you for your reviews. When you leave them, I read them at the end of the show, just like I did right then. Come back for 1979 part two. We have so much cool stuff to share. In the meantime, take care of yourself. I am rooting for you spiritually, mentally, physically and emotionally. You know, we are still crawling out of this craziness. The world gets crazier every day. It's like they don't want us to like have peace. It's all just all this noise that I, I myself have to shut out and just kind of focus and get my stuff done and love on my family and my friends. And you guys know how much I love going out and have meals. I chase food trucks. I love sweets. I, I, I just, I have fun, have fun, read a comic book, watch a movie, hang out with your friends, have a, wait for it, recess, peanut butter, big cup. <laughs> Sorry, I just I'm so addicted to them. If you only knew how many I had a day, you would you would report me for some sort of treatment. Anyway, you guys, I am rooting for your well-being. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for listening to this show. I am giving you the fist bump, boom, right through the mic. Uh take care of yourself. Have the very best day. Circle back and see me. I'm gonna be here. I cannot wait to talk to you again. We most certainly, absolutely, inevitably will talk again. Real soon.